0: You
1: are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe.
0: Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. Welcome to episode 36 of House of Football with Sports Joe. Delighted to say I'm joined in studio by Keith Tracy and End the Call. Lads, I'm going to start off this podcast by saying, oh nah, nah, oh no no. <laughs> As a Man United fan, the entertainment levels are true to ceiling at the moment with Manchester United in the Champions League. Three matches away from home three goals scored in each of those away matches and only one point to show for it Keith did you enjoy the entertainment you saw in Istanbul last night I did I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great game I, I was uh, I was doing a bit for the radio
1: last night and I said it's like a game out of the 90s it's just people going the two teams going back and forward and look the, I think Galatasaray going forward are better Going forward than the air defensively, so they're always gonna try and blow teams away rather than than suck up pressure. But United were exactly the same, thought we can't really try and suck up too much pressure here. Let's go and swing a few punches and very, very good. Mistakes all over the place. I know the weather wasn't great in the build up to the game, it was a bit boggy and a bit slippy, but yeah, for for an Arsenal fan, standing back and watching that it was absolutely brilliant. But Oh, nah, nah like, it's such a brilliant start from Garnacho when he scores that goal. Brilliant little layoff from uh, Bruno Fernandes to Nutmeg uh, Bowie and get him in. Brilliant finish, brilliant start. You're thinking, one nail up, welcome to hell. What a brilliant start. And then, oh, nah it, again, Bruno Fernandes' goal, then they go two nail up, an absolute worley, a scorcher of a goal using that technique. But... Yeah, that, that's Ziyech's goal. That that should not happen at that level of football. I know he takes a step behind the wall and he's anticipating coming up and down. It doesn't exactly fizz past him. It's not 100 miles an hour. I think if it was the defender there did the control and played it, it was that weak of, of a shot. So I think Ziyech was a little bit surprised to hit the back of the net. I oh, was definitely surprised and you need your goalkeepers. If you're going to go to Turkey, you're going to go to Galatasaray. There is going to be times. I know United are superior to Galatasaray, in my opinion, but there's going to be times going there you're going to be under pressure and you're going to, your keepers going to have to make a decent save. Defenders are going to have to make blocks. Hardy Maguire did make a couple of blocks, but Onana just constantly seems to let an old howler in now and then. and That just can't happen when you're trying to build from the back. And I know like people say the defence is chopping and changing. Johnny Evans, Hardy Maguire, Lindelof, you know Bissaka is in... Shaw's only coming back but for me he needs to start making saves and he can say the defence this and that the team is not performing well, look after yourself first and if you play well then he can start you know, going into other people's realms and try to pick them up but at the minute he needs to localise
0: and just worry about his own performances. Paul Scholes said uh, ended that um, Onana makes the whole team nervous, um, they don't fully trust him and as a result it filters throughout the whole team. Uh, said he makes he he makes say, every save he makes he makes it look really difficult he makes it look like a world when it's fairly standard bog standard save that he's making but yeah he makes it look so dramatic um, is that is, is that the real issue with Manchester United at the moment the goalkeeping issue well I mean last week
2: it was the right back issue the following week it was the centre back issue this week it's the goalkeeping issue I think there's a just issues littered throughout the United team and it, it is the overnight issue that's been with United the last couple of years They're just not good enough. They don't have good enough players for this standard of football, and they're going to get exposed. Like, if you look at the the two lineups last night, Galatasaray against United, it's much closer than people want to admit it. It's just because Galatasaray are, you know, this Turkish team that United don't really respect them as much, that they should be going to and getting a win against them. But realistically, if you look at the lineups, there's not much to separate the two sides. So, I mean, like, obviously, Onana is an issue when it comes to. His, uh, his saving and his mistakes. But United knew that about him when they were bringing it in. This was highlighted very, very heavily when he was coming in that he was going to make these mistakes and he's going to keep making them if the defence is still as bad, if the midfield is still as bad. Like we were having a discussion outside about the midfield. United still have not fixed the midfield since Paul Scholes left. Like you were talking about Paul Scholes. United have not had a consistent midfield where you can say, yeah, all three of those players do a job. And they do it consistently. No, they don't have that so far. Like you know, you're relying on Scott McTominay to come in the odd time and put in a performance, and he did. He did quite well that you know the other day. Bruno Fernandez is not a midfielder really. He's more of a, a Frank Lampard number ten who doesn't really track back, doesn't really control the game, but he creates loads of chances, scores loads of goals. They don't have any real out and out number eight or or number six really. That's. Up to Champions League standards, so I would say the midfield is number one issue, then the defense, then the goalkeeping. Because, I mean, Onana is forced to make less saves if the midfield is controlling the game, if the defense is a little bit tighter. So I'm not relieving relieving Onana of any of the blame for the goals, but the defense and the midfield should be doing better as well.
0: There was uh, there's, there was there was an argument made that the the ZH force goal, the free kick mm. that he scored, should not have stood. And the rule is, and here's me clinging on to straws here, you know. <laughs> uh, if three or more defending players form a wall, which United did, they on the wall. All attacking players must remain at least one meter from the wall until the ball is in play. Now, the two Galatasaray lads were practically joined to the United wall, um, so uh, so Galatasaray's goal should not have stood because of that. Um, it's like that's a rule that I wasn't I wasn't aware that existed. Um, were you aware of that rule at all? I didn't know
2: the. I thought they still just had to be 10 metres away from the ball I didn't know that was the the rule but
0: yeah to be uh, 1 metre away from the wall if you're an opposing player until the ball is in play so clearly they're standing less than they actually measured I think it was being sport and they were 22 centimetres from the wall (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> did that's you ever it. hear that real Keith no never I, I, look like you see it in the Premier League every week don't you there's, there's players lying on the ground there's somebody getting in amongst them from the opposition uh, wall as well I, I don't think that's it it probably is one of these rules that isn't policed an awful right. lot but did you hear the? I've heard a rule now I didn't know this was a rule and I'm sure we'll get on to the to the PSG and Newcastle game but when Gareth South gave a mental handball isn't there a rule in place? I'm sure I heard this on Sky that if a ball hits you in any part of your body and then pops up and hits you on the arm, it can't be deemed a handball. And that was apparently, to to the best of my knowledge, that is implemented as yeah. a rule now. But the referees just totally ignored it. I so you like do you know what I mean about yeah, rules yeah. like just getting dug
0: up and going, you know, so not always implemented. Up to the referees own interpretation, yeah, that kind of yeah. thing, yeah. Well, I think that us just going to that. Let's go to that Newcastle match now because I'm, my head's broken talking about Man United, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, even though, like, like, look, look, before I leave, right, before I leave, I will say, I will say, I think the signs have been a little bit better over the last couple of weeks. I think going forward, we look a little bit more of a threat. And I think, I think Shaw coming back is a massive thing for us. I think you saw. The difference he made in the in the game against Everton at the weekend, uh, we just ha- we just look more solid when he's there. I, we look more solid conceding three goals again, but you know <laughs> what I mean. I think overall he brings so much to the team. And um, once he gets up to full speed, full fitness, it, you know, it'd be like practically like a new signing for us. Um, but I think there are potential there. Kobe Manu, you said we have defense we have midfield problems, and we do. But Kobe Manu, not to put too much pressure on an eighteen-year-old, but he is the future. <laughs> I'm really impressed with him. Uh, Roy Keane obviously rates him as well, being a, a big midfielder himself. Um right, that's all I've got to say on Manchester United. But we'll move on to that match you you just mentioned there, Keith, the uh, Newcastle PSG game. Newcastle are decimated with injuries at the moment. Like they're they're playing with it. Like we saw all the players on the on the bench the other night, all these seven-year-olds, Alex Murphy included. Um And yet they went to Paris, uh, were leading 1-0 until the very, very last kick of the game almost and get, they concede a scandalous penalty. What did you think of the award of the penalty?
2: Uh, It's just modern football though, isn't it? Like, football is infinitely worse as a product, as an entertainment thing with VAR. Because you're seeing all this all the time and it's so frustrating. Like, imagine being in the stadium where, like, it's frustrating watching this at home when you know what's happened. Imagine being in a stadium and you're trying to figure out what went wrong here, why is this a penalty? And you can't, because they don't show the highlights on the, the screen in the European games. So you just, you're just you just in the dark. So as a travelling fan going to that, not knowing what's happening, that's terrible. You're the paying customer. You should be able to know what's going on in the game. But as a TV product as well, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And the sooner they get rid of R altogether, I don't buy this argument that you can't go back. You can. You can just scrap it and say pretend it never happened and stop changing the rules for five years and just bring football back to where it was and like mistakes are going to happen mistakes are still happening like and that as adds you to the said, drama you know it, yeah. it, it adds to the drama but it also takes away from the, the product as well sorry I meant it? to say
0: pre-var when the referee made a mistake yeah like, it, like
2: you, yeah. you'd you have a conversation about the referees for about five minutes in the pub after the game and then you'd move on to the football whereas now it's all about referees every yeah, podcast when, every TV thing is about when, referees when
1: a referee makes a mistake you can you can stomach it because it's one yeah. man or maybe a couple of linesmen or a woman you know knocking about and you say that's fair enough but when you have every angle under the sun and it's been slowed down and replayed and replayed like that liver and mental handball I think everybody looks looked at that and went no, no right. it's not a penalty and the, whatever the, and it should be said that I thought the referee had a brilliant game I thought Are he was he supposed absolutely
0: to be supposedly the top ref in the game well, isn't I, he? I, I thought he let final. a lot go
1: Mbappe in, in threw himself on the ground a couple of times there was a few tackles and he just ran past saying get up and I thought brilliant nice strong referee and we're getting a decent game here but when you know when he gets sent to the monitor, is that code for you're wrong, change your yeah, decision? It because be, very it? rarely will a ref actually look at it and go, "I'm sticking with what I what I taught." And I think when he gets sent to the monitor, it's code for we think you're wrong, and he thinks right. I better bow down yeah. because these are these are having a brain trust behind me, so I'll go down. But if he doesn't get sent to the monitor, I think it's it's nobody's gonna give out. It's never ever a handball and you won't hear me coming to Newcastle already how was uh, defence too quickly but they deserved a <laughs> big, the the yeah, no, yeah. Well, big night they deserved a big European away day and for 90-95 for, for minutes they were absolutely excellent I thought Kieran Trippier kept, uh, kept Mbappe really really quiet Dembele was quiet on the other side as well Almiron was brilliant yet they deserved the win and you know it's it's such a sucker punch but we talk about VAR and VAR was put in to, to make the right decisions look at Wolves like poor old yeah. Wolves like Gary yeah. O'Neill and you know,
0: he said he's lost all faith in VAR now. I
1: don't blame him. Yeah. I, look, I don't blame him. And like He's coming out and he's saying, I've lost faith in VAR. Like, can you imagine if that was you and your lo- your job is on the line, your livelihood? And I think Wolves have lost between six and six and nine points now down to VAR alone this season. And it's just how good of a job Gary O'Neill is doing that they're still not in the relegation zone. So he's doing an outstanding job, but VAR have kicked them time and time yeah. again. And the four big decisions on Monday night uh, with Wolves and Fulham, the... The headbutt is a clear headbutt. If, if the people say to me, oh, it's a disgrace the way lads throw themselves on the ground. If the Wolves boy throws himself on the ground, he gets sent off. We yeah. all know that. So look, the the max, the the max the, 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 the fact that the Wolves boy stays up shouldn't have a, a burden on the referee's outcome. It's a headbutt and he yeah, should be sent off. Mate. And Gary O'Neill was right when he said, my youngfles at home watching this now and he knows that he can headbutt people as long as it's not too hard you yeah. know yeah, like what, what is going on here well, some of the decisions are mental
2: but like what what is the breaking point for it because the fans don't like it the managers don't like it the players don't like it so that's the three st- key stakeholders but in I, football and they're not getting so the big decisions ex- right exactly it's the so main thing who, are, who, who is VAR for now because it, the fans hate it the players hate it and the managers hate it so who's it serving except for the referees And I, I can't imagine the referees like because they're under so much scrutiny now. So the question is, why are we still continuing it? Because nobody likes it and it hasn't improved the game. So, I mean, why are we continuing to move on? Oh, we'll change this rule to maybe help VAR. We'll, we'll change the handball rule again. That'll help VAR. Oh, we'll tinker with the rules of what VAR can get involved with just get rid of it
0: Yeah, yeah. Just,
2: it solves all the issues that just we're currently seeing
0: everything don't they and there's this talk now of this orange card yeah the orange card it's like, like
2: just just maybe stop changing the rules every three months and yeah. people will stop being so confused with the game like you know what <laughs> I mean
0: um, just on Livermento though I mean what a player that fella yeah. is like I mean saw him at Southampton uh, he came from the Chelsea Academy went to Southampton outstanding had a bad injury went to Newcastle um, he's come back after another injury but he just looks like a proper proper player doesn't he yeah he, he was one
1: of the one of the boys that came out with the big Chelsea the big Chelsea set. went to Southampton played a lot there and he ended up getting injured as well and you're thinking like yeah he looks decent is he going to be able to come back but every time I see him he just seems to be getting better and better and like you said Eric with the injuries that he has already come across in his career to come back stronger and fitter and look better all the time yeah, looks really good. And like I said, kept them belly quiet. And, you know, I've seen them belly in the Aviva. Very, very hard person to keep quiet. So for Livramento, such a young man to do that, like a, a French international, very, very good winger, very quick, very tricky, can go left, can go right. So Livramento deserves all the all the praise he will get for that game. And yeah, I think he's, you know, to play left back as well, he's, yeah. easy. He's, a, he's a right back. So to be playing left back, it's not as easy as people think, you know, just throw them over there and you can do it. So yeah, for, for such a young man to be doing them sort of things in the Champions League already... It looks good and it's another one of those boys. I have to I have to be honest, when Newcastle bought Livermento, I thought they've got Kieran Trippier there and you know, Trips will be there for another couple of years and they've won or two others. I thought not sure they need him. But he, he's just bustled his way into that team now and he, he looks like somebody who's gonna start moving forward, which is again at that age.
0: Excellent. Yeah, he looks almost irreplaceable already. Like he's made such a big and the, and the 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 Newcastle fans as passionate as they are, they welcome they've you know welcomed him with open arms, and he's he's a hero, new hero, and the with the Georgies. thoughts on Liverpool
2: Well, it just goes to show like the money that Chelsea have spent on all these players. Uh, Good points. You know, over the last couple of years, bringing them in from from different clubs when they had one of the best talent uh, conveyor belts in in the country at at one stage and I think they still do like they're still bringing in loads of players sending them out and loan so look maybe they weren't ready at the time that you know Chelsea would have needed them but Chelsea would have saved themselves a good 60 to 100 million if they had just kept with them and give the young lads an opportunity. Maybe that's down to the managers, maybe that's down to the, the way the club does business, but it could be, it could be it's just modern football as well. As well. Yeah. Like You look at like likes of Cole Palmer now, yeah, yeah. just not wanted at all by Man, Man City because he wasn't seen as a Man City player, and he's absolutely brilliant for Chelsea. So it, you know, maybe it just doesn't work out. It's the weirdness of football that you think your career might be over at a top club because you get sent out on loan or you get sold, but... I mean, these lads are proving them wrong.
0: I'm talking, Livermento is probably uh, uh, a dark horse now to be selected for the England squad for the Euros and I don't see why not. You know, he just continuously seems to be getting better and better and uh, who knows what a ceiling is kind of thing, like, you know. Yeah, Yeah, Um, the competition in that English squad. I know right it's, back,
1: it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Jesus, <laughs> even in Trent Alexander-Arnold, like people say he's one of the best right backs in the world, and he's getting into the English squad as a midfielder. It's yeah. ridiculous, isn't yeah. it? But uh, yeah, Livermore, why not? Why not put him in there?
0: He really is, uh, Roy. You must have been a happy boy last night. Uh, your, your your lads, Arsenal against Launce, five mm. 0 at half time, four 0 up after twenty eight minutes. I think it was. Was five yeah. nil. Um, I didn't see the game, Keith. Um, six different scorers. Uh, and uh, yeah, he must be a happy boy. Yeah, um,
1: I don't, look, Lonza, they're at this level of football, they're not, they're, you know, I wouldn't call them minnows, but Arsenal should be beating them, I didn't think they'd beat them anywhere near as convincing as they did, given the trouble we had in the four, in the reverse fixture with them, but yeah, look, I, I thought it was a really good performance, every time we went forward, we'd look like we scored Jesus, when he's fit, Martinelli looks better, Saka looks better. I know individually they're, they're outstanding players and can win a game at the drop of a hat. But when Jesus is through the middle, they all just look a little bit sharper, a little yeah. bit better. And Yeah, look, I, I really like the Arsenal team. I, I'm I'm very, very excited. I know it probably doesn't show it on the outside because I, I'm I'm an Arsenal fan and it's the hope that kills me. So. Yeah, I don't think we can compete in the Champions League and the Premier League. I think we're going to suffer in one of them. So look, if you were to if you were to offer me give Manchester City a race and a, a close finish, you know, finish three to five points behind Manchester City in the Premier League, I think that would probably be success for us. If we get semi-finals of the Champions League, maybe finals, something like that, maybe I'm being greedy. I think we've had a very good season but I think Arteta was right in his uh, in his press conference before the game and he said domestically we're back on the scene we're in the Champions League we're, we're throwing punches we finished second last season we're, we're giving Manchester City a decent race now we need to put the building blocks in place to become a big boy in the, in the Champions League again so yeah look at very, very good last night. It's exactly what we expected, but it's only three points. You know, we've moved on to the next stage now, so it doesn't mean we're going to win the Champions League. So I wouldn't be getting too carried away with it. I think when we come up against the real elite, you know, the Manchester City's, the, the Real Madrid's, yeah. the Bayern's, we might come a little bit unstuck. But yeah, look, I, I think we're a club going in the right direction and, you know, considering where Tottenham and Manchester United are at this minute in time, I'm happy with me lot at Arsenal, and a lot a lot of people say you should be the man tomorrow and blah blah blah. But look again, looking at Manchester United and Tottenham in the direction they're going, in
0: <coughs> I'm happy. A man United, you know, or sorry, a man who has scored a Champions League winning goal has now suddenly found his goal scoring mojo. Uh, Havertz yeah, Sees his two and two games and uh, probably uh, probably the weight off his shoulders that he needed, kind of thing. And uh,
2: yeah, just taking his time to sort of get bedded into the system. That's sort of what happens with the Man City players at with Pep, and you kind of see that with. Arteta as well, um, but as Keith was saying, I think Jesus is probably centre to this. I, I was He's a catalyst. Yeah, if you, I think it was Trossard was saying at the weekend that for Havertz goal, if you watch it back, Jesus makes the original run. That it's a line breaking pass through to him, and Havertz was saying that he knew exactly what run to make as a result of that. So you can almost see Havertz start his run before Trossard passes the ball to Jesus because yeah. you know where Jesus is going to end up and you know where he's going to put it. So that's he culture, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's, that's just coaching at the yeah. top level, isn't yeah. it? Like if, if The best thing that Arteta could do with Havertz is get him into position, sort of like a couple of years ago, Pep did it with Sterling at Man City, where he was scoring a bucket load of goals and all of them came from about two yards out, three yards out, and it was all the cutbacks. Yes, You can get him to do that because you don't want a situation where Havertz is coming into the box late, arriving on the ball, having time to think about it. You want him in front of goal with a tap-in, and that's that's what he's really good at. He's Everyone mentions his movement and his pressing and all that there. So take as much pressure off him as you can on the ball, and he'll do the rest. So I think... I don't know if he's going to be the the signing that brings Arsenal to the next level, but he's definitely going to be one that you can slot in if, you know, Martinelli's injured or Trossard isn't playing or or Saka gets injured again. You can trust him now to throw him in and the pressure is probably off him now. The the whole embarrassment of, you know, you know, like when you become almost like a meme for, for people to throw at you. I, I don't think he's that anymore. So that's good for him.
0: I didn't see the city game, um, but I was absolutely chuffed that they were two 0 down at <laughs> half time. But of course yeah. then they came back in won three two uh, against Red Bull, who who they beat seven 0 earlier on this year as well. So I suppose uh, Red Bull feels they're making progress. Um, <laughs> um, but they were they were I think City were through anyway before, regardless of that result, yeah. weren't they? They, yeah, they, they yeah. pretty much. Um, the 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 reports I read though and looking at some of the City fans was saying that it was a very un Manchester City performance in the first half. They were two 0 down, twice beaten by the pace of of the lad who scored the two goals for Leipzig. Um, Following on from the the one all with Liverpool at the weekend, uh are City are City cooking at the moment, Keith, or are they just 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 you know, flexing their muscles and getting ready for one of these runs where they just go on and just decimate everyone?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's that one. I think they're uh, I think they, when we turn the corner in January, the last couple of weeks in January City will just be starting to hit their stride. And look at they're already, you know, absolutely flying. I know they come down a level, but you referenced the first half against Leipzig the second half was unbelievable. Like I know they beat them 7-0 in the first game, but they're not a bad team. Leipzig nope. are a decent, decent yeah. team. You're 2-0. Top
0: Bundesliga team, yeah.
1: Exactly, you're 2-0 down at home. The, the the City fans, not a lot of them, you know, torn up. that's not a big occasion for City fans, so there, there was little pockets of of uh, seats every now and then. But you could tell that they get in at half time, Pep gives them a bit of a rollick and gets them back out, and, and they go and flex their muscles and win the game the second half 3-0. So, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't... I think it's a very hard one for City to get motivated. There's so many big games going to be coming up that when you when you look at it, they're already true. It's a bit of a dead rubber. The fans aren't even, you know, the the, the stands aren't full. It's a rainy night. It's probably just one of them where they thought, oh, we'll turn up and win this game. But again, the, the the other side of that sword is the second half. They needed to the turn her on and they did and they went and blew Leipzig, Leipzig away. So yeah, I think they flexed their muscles in the second halves. But if you want to start, you know, Grasping at straws. They did show holes. I have yeah. uh, in the first half they were standing on the halfway line. I think the boy's name is Openda. Got in behind them a couple of times. Some decent finishes. So they are showing little weaknesses at the back here and there. But I think they'll be a lot more switched on when the likes of an Arsenal or a, a Spurs, you know, Chelsea, whoever it is, Manchester United come to town. They'll be a lot more switched on, and a lot more up
0: for it. So you've Arsenal City who are definitely true. Um, there's there's a chance Newcastle will go through, and even a tiny chance that United could still go through. Um, but Celtic, ended. <laughs> Celtic yeah. uh, beaten 2-0 by Lazio. Not too late enough goals, but it's their 15th game in a row without a win now in the, in the competition. What's the story, end with Celtic and the Champions League? Celtic are very like
2: Ireland, in the sense that about 15 years ago, they had a really good team. I think were, the Lazio supporters thought Celtic were Ireland. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> they had a really good team and they were on par with the best of the best in, in Britain and that's where Ireland Ireland were on the world stage and they could go toe-to-toe with anybody, they don't have the players anymore. The systems are in place that the big teams are richer than ever, Celtic are poorer than ever in comparison to them. That doesn't excuse like how bad they've been in Europe. Like Celtic uh, have done the exact same thing every time they've been in the Champions League the last couple of years, in that they play well for 60 minutes, they concede a silly goal, get a man sent off, get away, give away a stupid penalty, and then the game's just done and dusted from there. Like Celtic, as... You know, it was nil-nil for a long time in that Lazio game, but Celtic didn't lay a glove on Lazio. They didn't enter the box, I think, for the first thirty-five minutes or oh, something. But like
0: why that. was that? There was that. Was that because they were they were in a more defensive shape? Is that you're saying? Like you compared Ireland with Celtic there, and you're saying like with Ireland uh, living on past glories, I suppose. Um, but what Ireland really need to do, and we had the Stephen Kenny era, but what Ireland really need to do is be more pragmatic, be harder to break down. Is that what Celtic need to be bringing to the pe- table at the moment? Well,
2: I don't know. You could say that about Brendan Rodgers because if you look at. Like the Celtic teams over the last 10 years, for example, like Neil Lennon at the start of the decade did really well with Celtic in the Champions League. You know, he got big results against Barcelona. He got to the last 16, uh, beat Lazio in uh, the Champions League as well. And then Brendan Rodgers has the worst record of any manager in the Champions League. But that's because he's been managing with Celtic in the Champions League mainly so like Neil Lennon was pragmatic but Neil Lennon Neil Lennon's team in the early 2012 like 2012 was much better than this one like much more powerful they had European style players they had you know Victor Wanyama was the midfielder for example he was big physical strong but also could play a bit whereas Celtic at the minute they've got decent players but none of them have the physicality when it comes to the Champions League they all run out of steam after like 65 minutes 70 minutes and none of them are particularly quick none of them are particularly creative um and they're just not off the level. Like Celtic are currently bringing in players for one million, two million. Yeah, and they're coming in from like one of the players that was playing right wing for Celtic came in from the Korean second division. You know what I mean? Like he's coming in as a development player, but he's not really ever going to develop to a player that's a standard of the Champions League. Never mind currently yeah. uh, playing that level. So there's a lot wrong with the club. There's the fans are very angry with the board because Celtic are doing very well as a business. But I think there are overarching issues with Celtic that stops them from making any progress in
0: Europe. And they're just financial.
2: The financial. It's the financial golf, but also it's the, the, the reality of being a club in Glasgow. You know, like, And the reality of being in the SPFL. Celtic are, are between a rock and a hard place because they're far too good for the SPFL and they're not nearly good enough for the Champions League. But they can't progress in the Champions League without being able to attract players who are good enough for it and those players do not want to go play in the SPFL yeah. that's a reality of they'd rather go play in the ch- in the championship in the lower levels of the Premier League because they will get paid triple the amount Celtic's highest paid player is currently 45,000 a week Oh, really? that's what an academy player gets in some of the Premier League clubs yeah, yeah. you know what I mean like that is that's that's Celtic's captain Cal McGregor is on 45,000 euro a week or pounds sorry a week you cannot attract top-level talent, Champions League-level talent for that. So you either need to be like a Red Bull situation where you scrap the entire thing and just go for full-blown development. But again, Scotland doesn't have a development league. They don't have a second league for the younger teams. They don't have a youth league. Celtics underage team, is current, a reserve team, is currently playing in the Highland League, which is the equivalent of playing, you know, top-level Lancers Senior League. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's where the top-level... Uh, talent in, in the country is being developed for Celtic, so they have two options: go to the senior team and try break through, or go to a team down in England. So there are so many things that are, are just—it's not as simple as Celtic going out and spending loads of money because they don't have enough money really to go and spend to make progress in Europe. So I think the reality is Celtic are a European team; they're a Europe Europa League team, right? Um, challenging in the Europa League, getting to the knockout stages, but again, that's where the frustration comes in—that Celtic haven't performed in Europe. Because Rangers got to the champ, uh, Europa League final two years ago, whereas Celtic haven't won a knockout game in the in in European football for I think it's fourteen years now. So that's, even, that's
0: including Europa League.
2: That's in, including Europa League. So even when they <coughs> are in the Europa League in a in a competition where they uh, like should be challenging for the last thirty two at least, mm-hmm. they still underperform when it comes to the European games. So there's a psychological thing there as well. That's it's really oh, it's
0: it's desperate. Yeah, no. supporting them. And the Europa League final is in Dublin next season. It uh, sure is. And uh, Celtic you know, won't be there. Certainly? you never know. <laughs> or, or, or I mean, it could be a, a madly bizarrely, it could be a Man you know, United Liverpool final.
2: Imagine that. <laughs> but again, like this is the this is what I'm talking about. Where like European football set up for the the big teams is essentially a super league without the name of the super league. You know, like the, the, likes of, the likes of Liverpool and United and all these big teams should not be playing in the Europa League. Like they're they're far too rich. To, for any other teams to make progress, like the Conference League, is currently becoming what the Europa League used to be, because you know the the bigger teams in Europa League have have to drop down to the Conference League because the badly managed rich clubs that don't make it in the Champions League are in the Europa League. So it's it's a nightmare for anybody. Like you know, you're, UEFA have just they've stacked it and made it a made it a, a super league without actually calling, you know, it, that. calling yeah. it that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay well that's that's the european chat out of the way. I suppose we look back to uh, the the premier league the weekend just gone Keith. The big game obviously was Liverpool City. Um I suppose the the, the overriding narrative was that was a really good first half. Second half was a little bit cagey and and uh and, and both teams almost almost seemed happy enough with the draw. Uh, your impressions on the game Keith? Uh, yeah I ta- I I thought ta- um Liverpool Liverpool and City
1: Hold on, I'm going to have to get this up. I'm bleeding, drawing a blank here.
0: <laughs> it was one-all. So basically, uh, what's his name? Uh, Trent scored the equaliser, that's went right over it. and did the, the the finger on the lip. When you're a Liverpool fan, you love that. And there's a great picture with Trent runs back to the camera and his finger on his lip. And you see all the the City fans with their fingers up and the Liverpool fans are saying, "hanging in the Louvre. <laughs> it's an absolutely beautiful picture. Beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, picture. Your, your impressions yes. then, on that game? Too?
2: Well, yeah, you were chatting about City earlier on. I mean... The one thing I'd say about City is they're currently doing what they're doing without the best player in the Premier League, and that's Kevin De Bruyne. Like, he's been out injured since the start of the season. And the thought of City hitting the stride that they always hit after Christmas in the same way that United always did it after Christmas as well, the league's won after Christmas. They're going to be doing what they're currently doing with the best player coming back from injury. And if he can get anywhere near his form from last year, especially his link up with Haaland, he's one of the reasons Haaland scored one of the, like, Demolished the goal-scoring record last season, so I think, unfortunately for Liverpool, why they look like they are hanging on and they're doing well to be in a title race, I think the title race will be over by the end of February. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, interesting thoughts there yourself, Keith. Yeah.
1: No, I'm refreshed now. Um, the, the the big thing for me is I thought Docu against Trent Alexander-Arnold was a great battle all day long. Really, really good battle. But for the Holland goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold's defending when that guy picks up the ball I think it's Slabizoi comes over and, and Alexander-Arnold and he just jinks in between the two of them and Alexander-Arnold just, just goes yeah whatever no problem go on and then Halle, it ends up in the back of the net little pass Holland touch goal and I'm thinking yeah, like just be a body do something you know I wasn't the best defender in the world but I was always told just come back be a number make a heart don't sell yourself be a he, yeah, he just gives up like if you're going to Go and close people down. Do Do the whole thing. And look, at you. his goal is, is a fabulous goal. But we know he has that side of the game. He's a brilliant, brilliant footballer. When the pass is given to him, if the way he takes it and the force touch and then hits it in the same motion, if he doesn't do that, Eric, the, the chance is gone. He gets yeah. blocked. If somebody comes out and gets to him, so the way he does that is brilliant. But that is so basic. He's defending in, in the Ake situation. It gi- it gives Manchester City a goal. It was really, really poor. I thought City were a with a better team throughout the game. I think Liverpool probably—I wouldn't call it a, a snatch and grab—but you know they'd be very, very happy that he got the draw. I think they were they were the second best team on the day, but yeah, look, Liverpool stuck around and he got a draw in the had And if you'd have asked them that beforehand, they'd have ripped your hands off. So given how the game panned out, how it went, yeah,
0: I think uh, I think they'd be doubly happy with the point. I think it's a credit to Klopp and Liverpool, and it pains me to say that—that um, that every time they play City, they make City look unlike City, unCity like I would say. Uh, you know, you're so used to saying City destroy United and anyone else in their path. But when you come up against Liverpool, there's almost like, there's almost like a tension in the team. It's like they know, and I think even Guardiola was mentioned, he was quoted recently saying, Liverpool are the only team to keep up at night. Yeah. Because you know, he's worried about what they can, because their mentality monsters, they keep running and all that kind of thing. Um, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I was questioning this, like, when you think about the Man City games against Liverpool, I can't think of a rivalry where, the both teams bring out the best of each, each other like every time they play that first half was incredible like you're just watching the top top players in the league play at their very best and it's still back and forth because they're level enough with it. I think it's it's a credit to Klopp it's a credit to the way that his coaches decide to be able to press City and be able to do it but yeah like the midfield battle was won by Liverpool I would say and then the forward battle was won by City and then the defensive battle you know it was just it was man to man, toe to toe the entire way through. So it was the first half was class, and I was very disappointed with the second half. Yeah, as a it was anticlimactic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It kind of killed the. It, just the way the city play in the second half is just when they're when they're winning, they can just keep the ball for you know five six minutes and, and tire the opposition out. But yeah, I th- I think Liverpool are just shy just shy of City at the minute with the the quality that they have. What do they
0: need then to get there? Do you think?
2: it's I, I think they need to improve their defense they've they're still very much reliant on van dijk kanate and matip and like matip is, is is a great player and had has had a great career kanate is quite injury prone you know, virgil van dijk i don't think he's the player that he used to be he's still a top level yeah, defender but he's gotten a bit of I, form recently as yeah, well yeah i think they're missing both a a, a a solid defensive partnership in the middle and then a reliant goal scorer because while they are spreading out the goals amongst you know Nunez and Jota, um, I don't think they have a, an out now striker that's going to guarantee them 20 goals a season. Which I think you do need
0: alongside Salah, who's still you know banging. Like him who's in. guaranteeing you 20 goals a season? Yeah. Like he always does, yeah. pain in my face with that for um, The uh, the the other uh, Arsenal. So we get back to Arsenal. Um, they say the measure of a good team, Kate, is that you know they can eke out a result when they're not playing well. And I think. You know Liverpool, or sorry Arsenal, were up against against Brentford the other night, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, but remain patient and got the winner. Havertz scored and uh, and a brilliant three points at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a double whammy for Arsenal because you you want them to keep knocking on the door. You know, so many times I I've seen Arsenal, you think they won't win this day. it just won't come. But for it to come in the last couple of the last couple of minutes and for the, for it to be Kai Havertz as well, you think a lovely you might just get a little bit of confidence and obviously scored Jordan the week now as well. Our like last night in the Champions League, so. Yeah, look, it, it, it was brilliant. Brentford had a tough nut to crack, and they're they're doing some brilliant, brilliant things. Thomas Frank has them set up really, really well. So, yet yeah, delighted to to get the win. I'm not. I'm, I didn't think it was the best game in the world. I think you know Brentford were there. I wouldn't say to spoil it, but they were trying to nullify a lot of what Arsenal were doing, and largely they did. But. Yeah, I didn't realize Koi Havertz was quite as good in the air as 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 he is. You know, yeah. the the but header. He's quite probably, tall, isn't he? He's, he's he just is just quite tall. Yeah, whatever. and even even last night in the Champions League, he had a couple of headers that flashed just wide as well. And I, I remember the mark, and geez, he's, he's better in the air than I thought. So he can be a threat. The the one question mark I have over Havertz is off the ball. You know, how much is he going to give you off the ball? Because so much of modern football is pressing from the front and going and getting after people. And you know, Harvards will run after people, but is he actually running with the intensity to go and get it back? You know, does a sprint and then does a sprint a with token. some game? Oh, yeah, you know, with determination. So, yeah, look, at the minute he, he's on an upward. He looks like he's doing well, but yeah, still question marks. Always work great right? but look like, when you look at Arsenal front three with, with Jesus, Martinelli, Saka, that's set in stone. So where's Havertz going to play? I would, I would argue then that Royce and Odegaard are set in stone behind them. So there's only one place up for grabs in the Arsenal team. So he's gonna, he's gonna have to do very, very well to get himself in as a mainstay, but. The Arsenal squad is getting stronger all the time. We trust him off the bench. We trust Jorginho coming off the bench. There's one or two others. So we're getting stronger all the time. And hopefully if we keep going the way we're going, we will be able to challenge in the Premier League and the Champions League.
2: Do you think they're doing it the other way around this year because they got stung at the end of last season? Like they're trying to peak at the end of the season as opposed to the start of the season again?
1: Yeah, yeah, po- yeah, possibly. I, 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 really don't think it matters when you peak because I think City just have it, have it down to a T. They turn around January and you just start going like that, and the the performances to this, like you can say, the performances haven't been great, and people are criticizing Haaland. He's not as efficient as he was, but his numbers are still ridiculous. City's <laughs> numbers on the on the board are still ridiculous. So we can criticize them, and maybe it's it's a it's a sign of the standard they set over the last couple of years that we're saying they haven't been the, their old selves, but. I, I'm fearful of them hitting the accelerator in January.
0: Yeah, I think we all are. Um I suppose the other big game of the weekend was uh Spurs Villa. Um tour defeat in a row now for Ange and, uh, and they Sandy Kamera. I know they're decimated when nineties. but so United you know and so, anyway. Sorry, um <laughs> but, uh, uh, uh and uh, obviously you're um you know you've been a student of Ange. Yeah, an apologist. Oh, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't say an apologist, <laughs> but you've been a big fan, and rightly so. He's been a breath of fresh air to the league. Uh, three defeats in a row. Um hasn't changed his football and principles are still playing the same way. <laughs> I suppose they're very important with the injuries. You see Benton Crow coming back and he's out again for another two and a half months. What a horrible tackle. That was like. a filthy tackle. Filthy people. tackle, like yeah. I mean it should have been was it was a cash Was it? cash, was it? cash. Mate, yeah. cash yeah. He should have got I mean when you look at that in slow motion, you go, geez, that should have been a red, mm. you know? Um yeah, sorry. Ange, tell me, talk to me, spores. <laughs> well,
2: okay. he, he started the game um, with no centre backs and um, <laughs> down, and, and no no defensive midfielder. so it was it, it was an interesting approach. And you know what? It it, yeah. it worked really well for most of the game. Like the, some of the football they played, it's unbelievable. Like the the first goal that Son scored, where he was offside, it was just it was just pinpoint football from players that you're you're not expecting it at all. It was just incredible. Like Son had three goals disallowed for offside so like I mean it looks on paper yes it's another defeat but again this is one of these results where it really could have gone either way for for Tottenham here they really could have got a result and it just like it just doesn't help that they're going into like the roughest period of fixtures as well so like the reality, next is it? city up yeah. next yeah. this weekend the reality of it like they they could go five games five defeats like I think what is it going to be a big factor for Spurs fight for the top four because I think that's what it is now you can't really lose more than three games and and still challenge for the title is just getting getting draws instead of uh, losing these games like that's that's going to be crucial for him so I don't know how you do it with the players they currently have at their disposal but um, he's not going to change the way that he's going to play football always watch Spurs if they're on TV is my only bit of advice because pure entertainment entertainment. like the two goals they considered were really bad. Like, there was one of them, the first goal was a great ball in from Douglas Louise um, from a free kick. And, like, that's right on the cusp of half time. So you're just thinking. Just keep it solid for the next couple of minutes. How goal, yeah. But but again, this kind of comes into the the whole added time stuff as well, because there were six minutes added on to the first half. They scored in like the fourth and a half minute, like the fifth. It was like 49 and a half. And like, you know, these goals probably wouldn't happen like two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nightmare for them fixture wise, it's a nightmare for them injury wise, but always watch them.
0: And I suppose, I mean, we we, we can't just uh, dismiss Spurs and not talk about Aston Villa. And, and again, I know we keep harping back to but the job Emory's doing there is just is quite staggering. And I think there was a table there recently, the last 12 months or something. Um, Villa right up there, like with City and Liverpool with points accumulating in the Premier League in the calendar year. It's it's crazy what he's done there.
1: Yeah, I don't, nobody wants to play against Aston Villa. They're, they're such a good team. And I, I've referenced it uh, a couple of weeks ago doing the Irish stuff. And it's, uh, when you watch Aston Villa, when they're, when they're out of possession, they drop into a four four two. And it's it, it's so so good and look at people always you know call me a dinosaur and all this but dropping into a four four two every professional player in the world knows where they have to be at every given time they know the angles they know what the opposition is trying to do it's black and white there's no will I won't they should I will I it, everybody knows what they're doing and you can you can see with the two banks of four with Diaby and Ollie Watkins just hanging up there two speedsters like and so so much of modern football the opposition team will try and. And try and lock you into your own half. So they're standing on the halfway line and you have two banks of four. Any one of them players pick it up. You've got 50 yards of grass to go and clip the ball into two speeds and all of a sudden they're up. And even John McGinn, like oh, yeah. I love John McGinn. They're I've standard. seen so much of Scotland as well. And I, I think he's really, really underrated. I think he's brilliant. People have him down as, you know, a bit of a brute, put a tackle in, this and that. I think he's a fabulous footballer. Yeah. He's an absolute powerhouse. And I think he's a brilliant captain. I think he drives people forward. So, yeah, I, I'm loving what they're doing. I, I obviously the, the Premier League's out of the question, but I think probably top six and maybe even picking up a, a trophy along the way, a European trophy. I, I wouldn't put it past them. I thought they were brilliant against Spurs, and you know the the one thing I would love to ask is look, I I would echo everything you say about about Pastor I love him. I love watching him, but some of the stuff he does is so naive. Like the sound boy when he went down to nine men, he's like, I don't care if you five men, we're gonna go for it. And I'm thinking that's a great sound boy. But it's really, really naive as well. Mm. And like with this, the descent half have pairs and pairing of Emerson Royale and Ben Davis, like if what our managers did this, it'd be questioned to to, the, to you know all day long. Why is he doing this? This isn't right. How has he got people standing on the halfway line? Pasta seems to have this air of credit in the bank and I'm not quite sure where it came from and I'm not dismissing the Celtic stuff he was brilliant at Celtic but this is a new challenge this is an elite club in England and some of the stuff he's doing is quite naive I'm look I don't want to question it because he's been brilliant and I know Mm. there's a whole host of injuries but I think there's a way that you know over the next couple of weeks do you shut up shop and maybe you know nick a few points here and there and then go back to your style or you know know, would the sports fans accept that?
2: No I see I I think he's he's one of these you know hardline Managers, where he, oh, he, plays, he's he's, football. he, he I'm yeah. gonna be doing what I do. No matter, way, way, no matter way. What, no, yeah, exactly. And I, I think what what he always references is that, you know, he did it with Celtic when he played in the Champions League, and people were like, "Would you not just play a little bit more pra- pragmatic?" And he's, he, his argument is always, "Well, you can't develop and improve the current game plan unless you try it at the highest levels against you know highest opposition." So, I mean, like, I, I totally agree. I think. He does need to adjust a little bit. This is the highest level of football he has managed at, so I think you might see him pare it back a tiny, tiny bit over the next couple of years, but... Yeah, I don't I don't see him changing it at all to be honest. No, look um, I, I
1: hope as a neutral I hope he doesn't, but yeah. you know, like when you try and put yourself into his shoes and you think tactically I, I maybe would change that or he just bring that back and just for even in ten minutes within a game we think, Well, we're on the ropes here, yeah. we we'll just shut it up for a minute, it's no we, we'll put another one up front. And I, <laughs> look it's brilliant to watch, but I just think <coughs> the sports fans just seem to think we're being entertained and we'll go along with it. And I know mean, results in the Premier League have been largely been good, yeah. but I think he when has when will a, that turn like, He has
2: so much credit in the bank from the start of the season. Yeah. Off yeah. Getting and getting Tottenham to play the way they are playing from where they came from, yeah. I think that's where the crowd is coming from, as opposed to like anything that he the did change. Yeah. I think it's just yeah. the the air of positivity, the players' improvement, and the way that the team are playing in comparison to Conte and Mourinho. And
1: I suppose they were so low when Kane went out the door that you know, with them playing so well, people are just jumping on and going, "Yeah, we'll have some more of this." Exactly. Yeah.
0: But defeats do eat away at confidence and belief and I suppose uh, what Keith's saying is there is like how long you know if the defeats keep stacking up, how patient will the Spurs fans be with Coglio and will they be demanding a more pragmatic approach going forward? I
2: don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. If you if you follow like the Tottenham forums or anything, like they're all very, very much behind. And like I mean like like I said, from the weekend, the game that they lost against Aston Villa they scored 3 goals that were disallowed. Mm. They, they and and two two out of those 3 were amazing goals. And you're looking at the the starting lineup that they're doing and, and they're still playing the same style of football as if they were playing with their 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 first choice 11. Yeah, yeah first mm. choice 11. So that's where like the Spurs fans I think will always stay on side as long as they're getting their Competitive in the games, which they are. They're not getting knocked out the door. Like if they get beat seven 0 by Man City at the weekend, yeah, there might be a little bit of discontent. But at the minute, they're not getting battered. They're just they're they're still dominating games. They're still quite close, and then they're conceding sh- silly goals. So um, until this whole Spursy element comes back in, I don't think the Spurs fans will care too much.
0: Yeah, Roy Kane got a Spursy comment in there. At the yeah,
2: weekend. I don't think it. I don't think it's that. I think that's an unfair comment. I, I think it was as well. I don't think. I don't think they're they're tossing up. Results that they should have won. I think they're playing with like five or six players who aren't their starting 11 and they're still very, very close to winning these games. And just, you know, some of the goals they are considered are pretty yeah, I think but they I should don't, be judged. I don't, don't, I don't everyone, think it's a Spurs thing to be when honest. When everyone's
0: back, Madison and the, and, the, and the lads are back, they yeah. should be judged. Um, do you another big game in the, in the Premier League uh, Newcastle, Newcastle Hammer, Chelsea 4 um, 1. People keep saying, yeah, the Chelsea are back.
2: It, uh, is it it lasted very long, didn't it? Yeah. Two games, whole People two games.
0: That. Pochettino looks like he's turned it around, mm. and, and they go to Newcastle and uh, they, they 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 go one nil down to get an equaliser. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, they're looking good now. And then Rhys James gets a red card. I, I saw an interesting fact about Rhys James, he was the captain of Chelsea, he hasn't played three games in a row for about two years. Yeah. That's a crazy stuff, isn't it? For like the captain of the club, it
2: made no sense when he was made captain because he's been so injury prone the last couple of years, like it it's bizarre
0: so yeah. whoever was named assistant captain was, being, was going to be the <laughs> real captain really he's probably the longest in the
1: building is he's
0: been like, that obviously yeah.
1: he's been in here will has been here months you're the captain you're here the longest so yeah it's probably just needs most but yeah look at uh, chelsea uh, I, I i they don't get b one i, I I wouldn't read too much into that. I know Chelsea's Chelsea season has been very indifferent, but going up to St James's Park, they have the ability to steamroll absolutely anybody. And Chelsea have all the talent in the world. They've a, they've a brilliant manager at the helm but I don't know, you, you can't just squeeze talent into the building and, and, you know, eke out a team. There has to be different characters, different people. Like, with United, other than Amrabat and Casemiro, there's no ball getters. There's nobody who actually wants to go and win you the ball in that midfield. So it takes different characters, a lot of talent, but they need a shape on them. They need a, an awful lot more than that. And, look, I, I, I think Chelsea are probably finishing around where they are now. You know, mm. if, they, if they were to go top half of the table, they'd probably be happy enough with it because... Uh, yeah, there's, there's one or two performing well, but even Thiago Silva look, looked old you know? Yeah. Guy, and uh, that's the first time you've ever thrown that at him. There was one where he tried to hook it back in from the halfway line and just, oh, sorry, from the boy line and just fell on his arse. Yeah. And he's, it, like, he's an absolute class He'd want to look old, he is. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is what I'm saying. What age are you, yeah. Keith? I'm She'll 35. He,
2: you're 35. I'm 35, yeah. He's he's four years older than you, I know. so he'd want to look old. But that's <laughs> what I'm saying, but th- <laughs>
1: that's the first time I've ever looked at him and thought. Maybe yeah. maybe you're you're starting to torn because he's yeah. been absolutely class and even this season he's shown pockets of still being able to read the game but that was the first time I looked at him on the weekend and thought mm, yeah. I'm
0: not sure now yeah. he was he was obviously done with the criminally short back pass yeah, and, yeah.
2: but if if you if you look at what Keith's saying about the talent in Chelsea if you look at the Newcastle team in comparison to the Chelsea team it's exactly the opposite whereas like Chelsea have bucket loads of talent like Newcastle have talent as well don't get me wrong some really good players but they've got far more character about them. You know, they're they've bought into the system anyhow he wants to do. They've bought into like the whole sort of us against them element that they're they're building. They're not top quality players. They have some really, really good players, but overall you'd say they're probably one of the weaker sides in talent wise in the top four. But they've bought into it. Whereas Chelsea, you know, you're looking at all the talent in not one of them seems to be a character at all. Not one of them seems to be a leader. So, you know, maybe that'll come for Chelsea, but maybe it won't. No, I you know. think
1: that's why. I think that's a great word you use in the character. Like you, we, you, can go and spend eighty million on a player, but you know all you're really guaranteeing is a bit of talent. You're not guaranteed. Is he going to come down when the chips are down? Is he going to bite down and do give us a bit? You know, Newcastle. You see that the likes yeah. of Darren Bourne, or Jordy going back there. Kieran Trippier, you sort to of know what you're getting with Long those staffers. Yeah. Even Long even on squeezing Almeron every bit of talent
2: that he's getting out yeah. of it just because. Even of, Joe, like, Le- you know, Joe
1: Linton yeah. was a laugh, and like people yeah. were literally laughing at him. they were making memes of him and all. And now he's one of the better players in the in the Newcastle team. So even Fabian Shaw, you like, oh, he was thinking surely they'll get rid of him and <coughs> bring in a world class centre half. He he's looked really really good. So. Yeah, I'm again Newcastle.
0: Eddie Howe brilliant, but I don't want to be saying that too often. <laughs> <laughs> and even like Botman's out injured, and Lascelles has come in. And Lascelles Botman, has been yeah. brilliant. He's the club captain, but he's been outstanding since he's come back into the team. Um, I want to talk to you about the performance of the weekend. Manchester United three. <laughs> <out and laughs> <air>. um, <laughs> <laughs> come here, come here. I have to, have to, I have to talk about a little bit of positivity about Manchester United. And 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 the talk obviously was the goal, Carnacho yeah. uh, and. Um, the argument out there was it the best overhead kick scene in the Premier League, and they were comparing it with Rooney's goal. Um, I suppose this the the, the setup for the match was the, there was going to be the big protest of the cards, the Premier League's corrupt, and and uh, and after was it ten minutes? All the cards came out because it was a ten point deduction. Um but you know you're already one 0 up after yeah. that Garnaccio goal. What really did you think of that Garnacho it, goal in there? Oh it was
2: unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah. It was and I'm not having this people like saying, Oh, he shinned it. Who cares if he shinned it? It's <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? upside down, like what do you want him to do? <laughs> well, no,
0: in fairness, I, mean, I don't think he shinned it as much as Rooney did his. Like, no, but he...
2: I, I'm not having that it was better than Rooney's mm-hmm. because the cross for Garnaccio was actually a really good cross. Whereas the cross that Nani put in for that Rooney goal was, it was awful. It just went like yeah up and around. And Rennie got and the the meaningfulness of the Rooney goal as well in comparison to you know a, a standard game against against everything but you're like I mean it's still unbelievable yeah, it's, <laughs> anybody who wants to criticise Garnaccio or criticise that goal or critique it it's like
0: he's upside down midair <laughs> it's unbelievable And you're, I mean you're, you're, you're a lover of the beautiful game Keith and technique and all what do you think of it? It was
1: unbelievable I, I would say you know, that that ball in by Dallow how he's coming out with an assist after that is <laughs> unbelievable but there's a, a time where if you freeze frame Garnaccio's running towards his own goal yeah. and he's like that and the ball ends up back in that top corner the way he finishes that And the melting pot of of Goodison Park, we all know the 10-point deduction, the Everton fans had, had, I think Roy Keane calls it justified anger. There was a lot of anger in the stadium. It was really, really, uh, you know, boiling point. So for him to just do that and quieten the crowd was exactly what Manchester United needed. But... Again, you know, it, I still find it difficult to get pa- get behind Manchester United and back them because although you win the game three 0 and it sounds comfortable, I don't think it was quite comfortable within the no. game. I know Everton threw a couple of punches. They were they were very very competitive in the game, but yeah, there's still still question marks over Manchester United for me. And I, I know people say that are one of the most informed teams in the league. Yeah, I get that, but they're limping over games. And when you when you when you reel off the teams they're beating they're supposed to be beating these teams when they come up against the Manchester City uh, you know the, some of the spores uh, the big boys they're coming unstuck so yeah they're beating the ones they're supposed to be brilliant against everything because I actually thought they would get turned over I thought Bruno Fernandes would go there and not be a captain but he, he's passed two big tests for me I'm not a lover of him as the, as the, as the Manchester United captain but Goodison Park and Galatasaray
0: brilliant two big ticks was oh, so you think it was, a, it was a good thing he handed the ball to Rashford for the penalty? that's, that's in leadership Heinzel, in hindsight in hindsight yeah, yeah Look, uh,
1: that, that, can, that can come back and bite you on the arse yeah. if he gives that the uh, Rashford Rashford misses everything going Nick a draw then he's getting thrown under the bus but in hindsight yeah it is it is good uh, it is good good captaincy but I'm not so sure as a player like if, if a captain turned to me and said here you're a bit low in confidence take that penalty be <laughs> I'm not sure I'd fancy <laughs> it. I'd be like, yeah, boy, there's too much pressure on this one now no, So, grand. but it doesn't feel the same you score a penalty you know it doesn't feel like yeah. you know that's me I'm jumping now it's like a Pat on the back, yeah. it's, uh, it's not, it's false confidence. But Rashford did play better after he scored that penalty.
0: I want to draw your attention to comments Andros Townsend made. Um, he was talking about United because Luton uh went to Old Trafford recently and United won 1 0. Um, dour match. Uh, Lindelof scored, but he was asked about United and he said there was rotation all over the pitch. We were well drilled and confident as we had just gotten a point against Liverpool the week before. We had a game planned plan to press up high on the pitch and force turnovers United didn't really give us anything you look at the stat sheet and it might like look like United didn't do this or that but it was so difficult for us to be able to contain this United side so they pose so many problems even if it doesn't show up on a piece of paper <laughs> is Ten Hag creating something that we just haven't seen yet and we are just we just need to be a bit more patient is Anders Townsend as a professional footballer and basically said he found United's game against or the United game more difficult than the Liverpool game
2: Look, who am I to say that a professional footballer doesn't know more than me? But I strongly disagree. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, like, there's a difference between rotating and players running around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I would question, like, like okay, tickets. okay, there was loads of rotation, but was, was that rotation planned or was that just players filling in for positions because everyone else is out <coughs> of position? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that United are in limbo at the minute. They're in the position that Liverpool were, you know, uh, just that kind of. Hodgson Rogers era where any bit of good news is great news for them <laughs> any any player that does better than the last is, is <laughs> the, <laughs> next, <laughs> the next big star accepting mediocre players in positions because they're actually doing really well for the five games that they're doing really well and then they drop off you know like I, I don't buy the Ten Hag project I think it's I you know I'm, I'm quite negative on it I think he hasn't brought United forward with the players that he has had and um, you know, there's no easy solution to it, is there? Though? But I, I'm not saying I know more more about football than Andrew Towns. Oh, of course, not. I, I like course to not. put that on record.
0: Oh, and has spoken. Um, but before we uh, before we finish finish with the Premier League, uh, lads, I suppose. Um, you know, we mentioned Celtic and uh, Neil Lennon, and Neil Lennon has publicly thrown his hat into the ring for to 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 be the Ireland manager. Keith, uh, would you be? Far against uh, someone like Neil Land coming in and taking over the job? Um yeah.
1: I, I know it doesn't it probably doesn't get people off their seats and want to get down to the Aviva, but we haven't got a competitive game now until September. I know there'll be a couple of friendlies in between there and now, but yeah, he he'll get his chance to get his get his claws in, you know, put a shape on us, but get more pragmatic, get us harder to be. Yeah, I don't know you're looking people that say they they want a you know a, a Roy Kane I, I don't think that that's viable Roy would probably get as a sponsor he would probably get you know Phil the Aviva but you know we, we've a lot of Younger players within our team, and is he the right the right manager to make the the younger lads blossom? Possibly not. I think if we were a. a was bully. that
0: because of the, the like the, the fear factor, the kind of the the how how dowdy is and demanding higher standards from players and.
1: Yeah, I think demanding higher standards. I think you're going from Stephen Kenny, who from the outside looking in now, I must stress, it seems to be a little bit nice and you know everybody patting each other on the back and then you're going to a Roy Keane that's going to be listen you're going to have to set the world on fire for yeah. me to pat you on the back and to be fair I like that sort of stuff because that way when you get the the little pat on the back it means that a little bit more but yeah I, I'm not too sure I, I don't see you know a Roy I, I'm hearing Lee Carsley and I'm hearing he's interested in yeah. it but I, I'm just not sure he, he's, a, he's a new modern manager I would imagine he would have his own way of playing he would want to play a bit of football and with the success he's had with the English under twenty ones, I think he would come in and try and do that with the Irish senior team. And, and
0: I think Kenny all over again. Exactly. I team. think
1: we get eighteen months down the road and go, my God, here we go again. But look, I think Neil Lennon won't inspire people to get in and watch the game. But I think we could win a couple of games under him with the bunch of lads we have.
0: As a student of Celtic over the years, end you've seen Neil Lennon and manager. What 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 strengths would he bring to the Irish setup? Uh,
2: he'd he'd bring a bit of blood and thunder. You can say that there was actually a saying when when Lennon came to Celtic first as his first into manager, and um, he was bringing the thunder back to Celtic Park, and he did do that. But that was a Neil Lennon who was inspired and young and ready to the fire in his belly. Yeah, he did, and I, I I think that's I think that's gone without being too harsh on him. You know, he did quite well in Cyprus when he was there for a while. Uh, he did pretty well with Hibbs when he was at Hibbs as well. For a ginger man he, to do well at fair play to him. Like, you know he, I mean? he definitely did well with uh, Celtic the first time round, but the Celtic COVID season and maybe it was down to COVID more than anything else that it just fell off a cliff. And it, it's it's just it doesn't it doesn't inspire me at all. He would the positives of Neil Lennon is he would bring the passion and the. You know the the pride in the jersey back. The, that that would be his strengths. Okay. The weaknesses is he's not going to bring any of the players forward in terms of his coaching levels. Like that that is the reality of the
0: situation. What about his tactical analysis in game management?
2: He'd be more practical than Stephen Kenny for sure. Um, I think he would be. He, you know, like if he was able to do what he did with Gary Hooper and build the team around Evan Ferguson in the same way. Like Gary Hooper was incredible under Neil Lennon the first season round. He scored crazy amount of goals in the Champions League for for what Gary Hooper was at the time because I mean after Celtic Gary Hooper went on to have a mediocre championship uh, career so he wasn't he wasn't a top level player but he was playing like top level football in the Champions League under Lee Lennon so if he could replicate that it would be brilliant but I just question whether he can because um, you know that was nine years ago yeah. at this point so now eleven be, years ago, sorry.
0: Your worry will be that the the fire has kind of dimmed in them a little bit. I,
2: I worry that he's ta- he would take the job because it's the international job, and that's sort of what you do at his stage of the career because he's not going to get another club job. this top.
1: It's a huge decision. Like I I, I know I, I keep harping on about this, but Euro twenty twenty eight is only around the corner, and we're gonna we're gonna be a host yeah. of that So we and we're not to be guaranteed in that.
2: qualification to that. Exactly. So, so
1: if we get Neil Lennon in and he, we give him eighteen months, two years, and then we got not right? We're changing manager then. 18 months out from another tournament a major tournament that we need to be a part of so this needs to be right take your time take as long as you like lads but you just need to get this right and for me it's not it's not who it's what is coming into the building, what type of manager I don't care about
0: names it's cut your cloth accordingly but the lads we have it's typical isn't it um, all these years Ireland trying to qualify for tournaments as soon as we get the host one we're still not guaranteed qualification <laughs> yeah. like what the hell well
2: I mean <laughs> they more or less guaranteed as qualification this year and we still managed to mess it up so. <laughs>
0: yeah true true Okay, lads, um we're gonna finish the show with our beautiful future feature. Start, bench, sell. All right? Three players. You to say you'd start, who you'd bench, and who you'd sell. Right. And the three players up for uh, for discussion are Marcus Rashford, Ivan Tony and Ollie Watkins. Um and if I could start with you. Who bench, sell, start.
2: See, I have an unfair advantage for this because I put these together so I know immediately who I, I'm sort of hoping people will put... In oh, well, I'll go first then. Yeah, will you I, go first. Right, I'll go
0: first. Obviously. <laughs> right, I'll go because the foreign player out of them three at the moment is clearly Ollie Watkins and I think he's a real handful for anyone in the Premier League. The pace, the power, he's good in the air, he's good off wide of four. So I just think purely on form, not ability, but purely on form, I would have Ollie Watkins starting. Um, on the bench... I'd have Marcus Rashford because of the person he is as well as the player he is I think you know nah, he keeping him around because
1: he's a nice guy You don't, yeah, want, oh yeah, yeah, God, yeah. You don't want titles problem, that way,
0: Eric. <laughs> Well I mean I just think he's uh look come here he's, he's had a difficult season this season but last season he was outstanding and I think um ability wise he's as good as anybody in the Premier League when he gets going uh, so we'd have him on the bench uh, Ivan Tony, I'm a big fan of Ivan Tonys, and I think any top four club would would benefit from having them in, in him him in their ranks. But the fact that he's off on a ban and we haven't seen him play, he could come back and be rubbish. So there we go. I'm gonna sell. I'd sell Ivan Tony. Okay.
1: Do you wanna go, Keith, or will I? Yeah, no. I'll, I'll go. I, Ollie Watkins. I would start him like you I think he's an absolute handful brilliant even breaking into the English team now scoring a couple of goals for them so yeah I, I would go Ollie Watkins but I, I would flip the two I would keep <laughs> and Tony. I'd put him on the bench and you can say his career has stood still but Marcus Rashford's career has gone backwards this season and I know last season brilliant probably has all the potential in the world can hurt teams from that left wing playing central even the right wing but yeah, I I prefer Ivan Toney I think Marcus Rashford is going backwards and, you know, when you're at a place where your captain's giving you like penalties to try and make you feel better, I think it shows you where he's at and he just hasn't been good enough this season. So on his form I, I, I'd get rid of him and I'd keep Tony even though he's standing still there
2: yeah. we go I'm going to do this completely different way I'm going to go just on talent I'm not going to I'm going to oh disregard right, dis- form, or anything form. Like that. Okay. just yeah. purely on talent start yeah. Ivan Tony Eric's gone on uh, personality just because yeah. <laughs> <Marcus is annoying.
0: laughs> <laughs> he was good to them poor kids <laughs> yeah. no
2: I'm going to go I'm going to start Ivan Tony because I think he's the best player out of the three I think if you look at who's after him Arsenal want him Chelsea want him like the the teams they are you know, realistically fighting for the title are going after Ivan Tony as their starter. So I think uh, he starts. Ollie Watkins, I think, has found his level with Aston Villa. It's not a bad thing that he's found his level with Aston Villa. Like he's a, you know, Europa League standard uh, striker. And I think he's a brilliant striker as well. So I think you bench him and keep Ivan Tony as the starter. And I think you sell Marcus Rashford because, as you say, he's too inconsistent. He He, he finds a purple patch... And then he dies for four or five months, and then he comes back and he finds his purple patch, and he, he goes away for another couple of months. You don't really see that with Ollie Watkins or Ivan Tony. They they are more consistent. They might not score for you know two games, but they'll score three then, and then they'll score for a couple of games in a row. And then there, there there's rarely a couple of months before you're saying, oh they they played badly for these three months. There's rarely that with Ollie Watkins and Ivan Tony. They're generally they find a level and they stick to that across the season whereas Rashford is on the ground or in the air on the ground or in the air and it's just it's it's just not good enough for, for that level of uh, that level of, of of football two things before I, I finish up about Celtic just yes. to mention it. we mentioned to, you mentioned one player and we're talking about another these are examples of why Celtic won't progress in Europe Ivan Tony was available to Celtic he went and had an interview for Celtic and and um, he said on the uh, diary CEO interview he did recently that he was told at Celtic that he was going to be a third choice striker before he went to this was before he went to Brantford and John McGinn was supposed to sign for Celtic and Celtic wouldn't spend four million on him before he went to Aston Villa so they you know they are also these are the key like Celtic went after these players and they just didn't go through them because they they either cost too much or they weren't willing to give them the guarantee of football time. So that's also part of the Celtic story of failing in Europe. They've, I wonder they, how long they they've would had have, a lot of near misses with these type of, type of players. I wonder how long
0: they would have been at Celtic though. You know, McGinn coming in having a great season, Tony coming in destroying yeah. the Premier League. Yeah. Would they be yeah. in with Celtic for much longer? Although they would have got a lot of money back, I suppose. You know. Yeah. Well, they you see. see yeah,
2: they, and then you invest that money yeah. again. So a lot yeah. of a lot of that
1: happened. History's layered with that sort of stuff. when I first went to Blackburn, they told me. They had a chance to go and sign Zidane and he didn't think he was any good <laughs> seriously it's yeah. crazy isn't it I think that's,
2: that's a true story I've heard yeah. that before
1: yeah. Ewood Pack hmm. amazing didn't fancy him, him and Martin
2: Gamp <laughs> I saw so him at one day
0: <laughs> no, he wasn't playing for balls he was destroying us but still I saw him um, right lads that's the end of episode 36 House of Football thanks very much to my guests today Enda Call and Keith Tracy we'll be back next week at the same time no we won't we'll be back earlier You're back on a Tuesday, right, Ender? We're back on Tuesday. I was off doing stuff, uh, uh, conflicts of schedules and all that kind of stuff. If you enjoyed the episode, join the conversation down below in YouTube. Drop a comment. If you like us on Spotify, leave us a review. And as I said, how to spell it is F A N T A S T I C. Thank you. See you next week.
1: You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe.